I want to speak for a few moments to you about intercession. Intercession is a type of prayer. And, and let me give you a definition in case you're unfamiliar with the term. Intercession is the act of intervening or mediating between different parties, particularly the act of praying to God on behalf of another person. Can I just say, church, that one of the greatest privileges that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is to be able to approach the throne of God on somebody else's behalf. That is an incredible privilege. You know, there, there's a story of a famous German Renaissance artist named Albrecht Dürer. He lived from 1471 to 1528 with his younger brother, Albert. It is the story about how one person's suffering can actually have an impact on another person and how it can actually touch the entire world. Albrecht and his brother, Albert, were middle-class kids, but they were two of 18 children. And so Albrecht and Albert both wanted to be artists. They wanted to go to the academy for art school and there's no way that their parents could have afforded to send them both. In fact, they weren't even sure that they could send one of them. And so that led to the fateful night of the coin toss. Albrecht and Albert got together in their bedroom and they decided, we're going to flip a coin. And whoever wins the coin toss is going to get to go to art school first. And the other one will go and work in the coal mine near their house. And so they flipped the coin, and providentially, Albrecht won the toss. So the older brother headed off to art school, and Albert went to work in the coal mines. For four years, they followed this path. Albrecht became an incredible artist. In fact, he actually exceeded his teachers in drawing and in painting and in wood carving. He exceeded their artistic abilities. And finally, graduation day came. And four years later, Albrecht comes back home to celebrate and to tell his brother Albert, it's your turn. I'll, I'll provide now. I'll work so that you can go and get your education. And at that, Albert began to sob. And he showed his older brother his hands. And he said, the coal mine has been very hard on me these last four years. Every bone in my hands at some point has been broken. They're calloused. They're arthritic. There's no way that I could ever be an artist now. And Albrecht was so moved by that, that sacrifice, that gesture of kindness from his brother. He had actually been conscripted to do a, an art piece for a local parish. And so he asked his brother, he said, would you put your hands in a posture of prayer that I can draw them as a prototype for my art piece. And, and that drawing is one that we've all seen hundreds of times. It's been loved affectionately for generations of Christians around the world as a symbol. That picture that Albrecht drew in ink and pencil of his brother's hands. Those praying hands are a symbol and a reminder to Christians all over the world to pray and keep on praying. But can I tell you what else that picture illustrates? This picture illustrates intercession. Not just praying, but doing something for someone else. And can I say, church, this is the call of the church. This is what we're called to, to be a people that, that intercede. 
intercession is often the unseen sacrifice that's laid on the altar of prayer for someone else's blessing. Today, I want to challenge you to intercession. When I think about intercession in the Word of God, I think immediately about Moses in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, I want to just show you several places in the Scriptures. We'll put these on the screen here, but when I look at Moses' life, there's this pattern of as he's leading the people of God, he's leading the Hebrew people into their promised land. They complain, and then Moses prays, and, and then they complain, and then Moses prays, and continually he intercedes for these people. The first picture I want to show you is in Exodus chapter 15. This is right after they've come across the Red Sea. God has just delivered them out of bondage in Egypt, and they're in the wilderness now, and they have no water. For three days, they travel beyond the Red Sea, and there's no water. Finally, they come to a place called Mara. And actually, they named it Mara because Mara means bitter. And when they finally got to water, they realized the water was bitter. And so they begin to complain. They grumbled against God. But it says in Exodus 15, in the first part of verse 25, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Yeah, I love the, the, that story. It's just so random. It's like, he's praying, God, we need water. God showed him a piece of wood. You know, it, it reminds me that God has a lot of options. Like when we think we're out of options, when we're desperate, going, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like this doesn't seem to work. This doesn't, there's no way that'll work. What if I, and God says, did you try a piece of wood? Well, no, I didn't try a piece of wood. Can I just tell you, God is God and we are man. And God has resources. God has ways. And thank God that Moses in this moment didn't lean on his own understanding. But in all of his ways, he acknowledged God, knowing he would direct his path. And God said, Here's a piece of wood, and he answered his intercession. Let me show you another one in Exodus 17, a couple chapters later. They're at Rephidim now, and the people are complaining again because once again, they have no water. And it says in verse 4 of Exodus 17, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Like, this is an honest prayer. This is not like, you know, rhetorical. He really wants to know, what am I supposed to do with these people, God? Like, you brought these people out here. What am I, they, they literally want to kill me now because there's no water. God spoke to him, and he said, Moses, I want you to take that staff that you used to strike the waters of the Red Sea and see it part. Now I want you to strike the rock at Mount Horeb, and I'm going to cause water to flow out of the rock. Now, let's be honest. If you're Moses in that moment, you probably would have rather just struck the people with the staff, right? Like, I Lord, I can't with these people. Like, they, every time something goes wrong, they, they want to throw stones at me. But thank God, Moses was a man of humility, and he took a posture of intercession. He said, God, what do you want me to do with these people? Like, I'm out of answers. What do you want me to do with these people? And God came through again. Let me show you another one in Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up on the mountain in Exodus 32. He's having an incredible encounter with God. I mean, this is the moment where he gets the Ten Commandments etched in stone. I mean, this is that moment where, for the first time in human history, someone goes up and gets a download from the cloud on their tablet. This is that moment. And Moses 
gets the Ten Commandments, and all of a sudden God interrupts the, the moment he's having, and he says, Moses, you need to go down. In fact, it's really funny when you read it because Moses said, or God says to Moses, go down because your people are corrupt. Like God's so fed up, he doesn't even take ownership anymore. Like, you remember when he met Moses in the wilderness, he was like, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now he's like, Moses, your people are corrupt. <laughs> like, here's what they've done. They've, they've made an idol in the shape of a calf out of gold, and now they're down there worshiping it as the God who led them out of Israel. Go deal with these people, Moses. And God gets so frustrated. In verse 9 of Exodus 32, he says this. He says, I've seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that in my anger I may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. This is like the Noah moment. God's ready to hit a hard factory reset on Israel. He's like, forget it, Moses. I'll just keep you. We'll start over. These people are driving me crazy. But look at verse 11. But... Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. He said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them on the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? This is intercession, church. Moses says, turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give you your descendants all this land as I promised them, and it will be their inheritance Forever. You know what Moses is doing right now? He's literally reminding God of God's promises. Can I tell you, when you pray God's word back to God, it's powerful. It's powerful. That's why I don't ever come to the prayer meeting without my Bible. When, because I got a lot to say, but none of it's as powerful as the authoritative word of God. And so Moses is just telling God what God said. Lord, you said. Some of you have had to do that for your family. God, you said. That I could believe on the Lord Jesus and me and my household would be saved. You said healing is the children's bread. You said, God, that you would give perfect peace to those whose minds are stayed on you. You said, and Moses says, God, this is your word. Intercession is taking the promises of God back to God. Even on behalf of people that have broken every promise they've ever made. Isn't it good to know that the power of our prayers are not predicated on your faithfulness or my faithfulness, but on the faithfulness and the sufficiency of an almighty God? He is faithful even when we're not, the word says. Now look at the next verse. Verse 14 says, then the Lord relented, and he did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Go with me to Numbers chapter 11. I want you to see the pattern here in Moses' life. The people are complaining in Numbers 11 about how hard their life is. Imagine this. They get up every morning and, and God provides manna. You don't have to make a run to the grocery store. You don't have to hunt anything. Like God just feeds them every day. If you want to know if it's time to go, just look. There's a giant cloud in the sky. God's going to lead you by the cloud if it's nighttime. No problem. There's a big pillar of fire. God's going to just lead you. Your clothes never wear out. Your sandals never wear out. I mean, God's just providing for them. And now in Numbers 11, they're complaining about how hard their life is. 
almost sounds like Americans, but we'll move on. God's up there like, oh, you have problems. And so in Numbers 11, God does something. He sends a fire to burn the outskirts of the camp. And sometimes God will do that. Sometimes God will purge our lives. He'll allow the heat and the tribulation to come. And, and, and Moses steps in the gap. Numbers 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 2 says this. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. Some of you, you know people, you love people, and right now the outskirts of their life are on fire. Like, like you're going, what, what are you doing? Like, wow, you're self-destructing. What is happening? Their life is on fire. They need somebody, some man, some woman, some teenager to, to stand in the gap of intercession and see the fire put out. Not because of their goodness, but because of God's faithfulness. Because God responds to the prayers of his people. He put the fire out. In the very next chapter, Moses' own brother and sister are now jealous of him. I know that never happens in any of your lives, but they're, they're jealous of his leadership. And they actually challenge his authority. And God comes to the defense of his anointed servant. And he strikes Moses' sister, Miriam, with leprosy. She breaks out in leprosy. No cure for leprosy at this time. This is a deadly infliction. But it says in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 13, So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please God, heal her. Can I just remind you that you have the authority to pray and intercede for somebody else's healing. I prayed with someone after the first service this morning. Bill's dad's going in for brain surgery tomorrow. And we didn't pray a really eloquent prayer. We didn't pray a prayer that would make for a great Hallmark card. We prayed a prayer about as profound as the one you're looking at on the screen. Please, God, heal him. This is a great reminder to me that the power of prayer is not predicated on your eloquence. How spiritual you sound everybody else in the room. Right? I mean... If you can pray this, please, God, heal her. And that's all he prays. And you know what happens? God heals her. God responds to faith-filled prayer. Finally, he gets these obstinate people into the promised land. Like, you're here. We finally, we made it. We're here. We're at the promised land. It's right over there. And instead of celebrating God's faithfulness and following Moses' leadership, they tried to start a revolt. They tried to pick new leaders. They're like, we, we're tired of following Moses. We want somebody else. Finally, God says, that's it. I'm done. I'm killing all of them. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm killing all of them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. One more time, Moses cries out in intercession. One more time, he takes that posture. And it says, he says to the Lord, in Numbers 14 and verse 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. It's almost like Moses is praying this prayer. He's going like, I, I know I've said this before and you've done that before. And I mean, from the time you saved them, from the moment they came out of Egypt, they keep turning their back on you. They keep threatening to kill me. They keep rebelling. And he prays this prayer yet again. And I don't know what that does for you, but it reminds me of this. Even if I've prayed for somebody a thousand times, 
I can come into God's presence on their behalf again and say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. And some of you, you know people like that. You've been praying for them for a long time. And to be honest, if God took them out, you would be like, well, they kind of had it coming. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not like he didn't save them a hundred times before. But there's something in your heart that just wants to believe, and you should. I'm telling you, you can say, God, do it again. Do it again. Save these obstinate people. In Numbers chapter 16, a guy named Korah, he decides that uh, he's going to start a mutiny. Him and 249 other people decide that, you know what, they're just as spiritual as Moses is, and so they should have just as much authority. And so they said, we're going to go to the tent of meeting, you know, that place where God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We're going to go to the tent of meeting, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get a word from God. And the Bible says, literally, God told Moses and Aaron, like, just move to the back of the tent. Like, he's thinking, I'm about to kill all these. Like, this is a convenient moment. They're all together. It'll be one shot. It'll be quick. I mean, just, just move over. He tells them, go to the back of the tent so I can kill these people. God's done. But Moses tells Aaron, as a plague of judgment is breaking out across the the people, Moses tells Aaron, he says, run, run to the altar, get the coals off the altar, the ones that they would put in the incense for the prayers. And he said, get out here. And Aaron grabs the coals from the altar. He runs out and he stands between those that are still living and those that are dead. And he holds up the censer and the incense begins to rise. And the Bible says the plague stopped right there. Church, that's intercession. When we take a posture, the Bible says our prayers rise like incense upon the altar in the Lord's presence. When we take a posture of intercession, we're spiritually standing in the gap between those that are alive and those that are dead. And they might deserve God's judgment, but somebody stands in the gap. A remnant people says, God, not in my generation. Now, I, I know America has turned its back on you, but God, we're holding up the censer of intercession. God, we're praying, let the smoke rise from the altar, not in my generation, God. I know they deserve it, but God, would you hear the prayers of your people one more time? And the plague stopped. That's what it means to stand in the gap. Let me tell you one more story as the worship team comes. In Numbers 21, The people got impatient again with God. They're complaining again. And it says in verse 6 of Numbers 21, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. I mean, why not? You know, like like not having water, that didn't soften their hearts. Worrying about food, that didn't do it. A plague, leprosy, boils, that didn't seem to work. Let's let's just do snakes. You know, God... (laughs) God's creative in the way he can bless you, but can I just say he's also very creative in the way he can curse you. Like, oh, you want to complain again? Let's send venomous snakes to bite the people. And many Israelites died. I know it's not funny, but it's old story. We got to laugh at the irony here. Verse 7. The people came to Moses and they said, we sinned. Like, see, snakes worked. Nobody likes snakes. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. One more time. God, these people. Would you, Lord, would you forgive them one more time? Would you heal them one more time? And God gives him a word. God 
says, and God will do this when you pray. He'll give you unconventional answers. He said, Moses, I want you to, I want you to make a serpent out of bronze, and I want you to put it on a pole. And then I want you to go and stand among the people, and I want you to hold it up in the air and tell the people, whoever looks will live. So all these people are dying from poison, from snake bites. And here comes Moses with this serpent on a pole. And he's like, look at the, look at the serpent on the pole, and you'll, you'll be healed. And it worked. And even to this day, we're all familiar with that symbol. We've seen it as a medical symbol. We'll show it to you here. The serpent on a pole. There's different variations of it, but can I just encourage you, next time you see that symbol on the side of an ambulance or on a patch on a doctor's lab coat, to know that that's not just the symbol for healing that you can recover. It's a picture of intercession. Somebody had to hold the pole. Somebody had to stand in the gap. Somebody had to get a word from God on how the healing could come. That's what intercession is all about, church. So we're going to... We're going to intercede as we close this service. And I want to invite you one more time to stand with us. And just before we pray, maybe maybe all through this service with all these examples of intercession I've given you, maybe there's somebody that's been on your mind. Maybe it's a family member, a loved one, a friend. Maybe it's an enemy, but somebody that you just keep sensing that like, oh, yeah. You feel the Holy Spirit just blowing on the coals of your intercession, that they would once again burn and rise like incense to the Father. We're going to pray for them. But maybe, maybe somebody's here today and you need someone to hold up the pole for you, to stand in the gap and believe for you. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing this service and we're all praying and we're singing together, but you're far from God. You feel distant from the Father. I want to share one more verse with you. And it's from the lips of Jesus, our Lord. Jesus was explaining salvation and how that works to a a Jewish rabbi named Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was very familiar with the scriptures that I have preached from this morning. He knew the Pentateuch. And so Jesus is explaining salvation to Nicodemus. And he says this in John chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him see the snake doesn't represent Jesus the Bible says when Jesus went to the cross he became sin the snake was the cause of their death And so Moses lifted up the cause of their death and said, look at the cause of your death and live. Jesus became sin. He carried your sin to the cross. And when he hung and died there, what Jesus is saying is, look at at your sin. The cause of your sin is going to become the cure for your life. Look and live at Jesus. Look and live because your sins are nailed there. And if you're here today and you're far from God, can I just hold up the blood-stained banner of the cross of the Lord where your sins were conquered? And if you'll believe, the Bible says if you'll confess your sins and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. God will forgive you of your sin. So can I encourage you, if that's you, as we pray, as we intercede for our loved ones, 
if that's you today, just begin to say what we were singing early. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'd just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I forgot that you were enough. I'm sorry, Lord. I just want you. I just want you. Now, come on, one more time before we end this service. Let's turn this house into a house of a concert of prayer. Let's intercede today. Father, we lift our voices all over this room. Lord, we lift our voices. We invite your Holy Spirit to to prompt us to pray. Lord, thank you for bringing those loved ones, those family, those friends to our hearts, to our minds. Lord, thank you for stirring our hearts today to pray for this nation. God, we pray that you would move in response to the prayers of your people. For those that have have tried and failed a hundred times again, Lord, we pray, do it again. Lord, do it again. Lord, for those that are sick in body today, thank you that we don't have to be eloquent. We don't have to know how to say all the right words. We don't have to be able to quote a bunch of scripture. We can just call out to God in faith today. Please, God, heal her. Please, God, heal him. In Jesus' name, we call out in faith. We ask for healing. We ask for deliverance. We ask for salvation. We ask for a complete and total recovery in physical bodies today. Please, God, heal them in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask for you to give creative solutions. Lord, for those problems that that just can't be solved in the natural. God, if you can show Moses a piece of wood and purify the water, God, there's nothing you can't do. We intercede today for revelation, for insight, for those that are confused about the next step. They don't have clarity for tomorrow. They don't know which way to go. God, we look to you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we look to you today for clarity for wisdom. God, we pray for those in in our lives that the outskirts of their life are on fire right now. It it might be a a self-caused destruction. It might be circumstantial, but God, we stand in the gap today and we say, Lord, put the fire out. Lord, put the fire out. Their their life is burning. Their marriage is burning. Their their kids, their, their family is burning around them. God, would you put the fire out today? In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you Lord, we take our stance of intercession between the living and the dead. And we speak life today. As we exalt Jesus right now, we exalt you, Jesus. We lift you up. Lord, you said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Come on, press in a little more with me, church. Jesus, we look to you. Jesus, we look to you. We're asking you to move today, God. We're asking you to move today, Lord. Would you come?